Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with writer, director, actor, Franklin Rich, and journalist and writer, Jemima Khan. That's coming up on Endeavors. Well, hi there. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. So there is a chance that the show might go on hiatus again this summer. Um, for those who may or may not know, last summer... Uh, I spent some time working in Scotland, to Edinburgh to be specific, uh, and then I went on a little backpacking trip. And it was sort of hard to record podcasts when you're on a train uh, every couple of days and you get to hostels and you don't know what your Wi-Fi uh, situation is going to be like, which did happen to me occasionally. I mean, fortunately, uh, it was pretty good, but, you know, some places were better than others, like, you know, Paris and Berlin were a little bit better than uh, Ljubljana or Rimini, um, for example, although all those places uh, were were gorgeous. And there's a, you know, I'm still waiting to hear back about whether I'm going to re uh, return to Edinburgh this year. But there's a lot of uh, summer things that are a little bit up in the air, as my summer plans uh, generally are. Uh, so if I can, I might, um, like, pre-record a bunch of stuff uh, for the show. Or I may have to um, go on hiatus again. We'll just see. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm sort of. I don't want to say I'm not as focused as I have been on this podcast that I used to be because I think um, that's the wrong way to phrase it. But I'm I think I'm just learning how to balance all the. The, the different things and the 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 different artistic outlets that I do. So I'm just trying to maybe remeld this podcast into something. Although it, it will always continue because I do genuinely still love to do this. That aside, uh, we do have a really, really good and a really, really interesting show today talking about two uh, very different um, but equally entertaining films. And I think both are apt and timely. I'm going to start with Franklin Rich. Uh, and he is the writer-director star of uh, a very intriguing new film called Artifice Girl. You know, in the last 
you know, six months a year, uh, AI has been all over the news, you know, whether it's chat BG or sorry, chat GPT or deep fake technology or automation. The age of artificial intelligence is officially upon us. Uh, I think even Steve Wozniak of Apple um, was interviewed the other day. Uh, and actually the guy that who's considered the grandfather of AI said he worries for our future. But, you know, I think it is sort of, in a way, it's too early to say what the effects of AI will be both in the present and in the future. But that doesn't stop people from talking about it or speculating on it or writing about it or creating art about it. And Franklin Rich has crafted a very intriguing film called The Artifice Girl, which deals with a AI programmer and creator. But I think what makes this film different, well, there, there's a couple reasons. One is that he models the AI after a young girl who may or may not be actually be a real person and it's an interesting juxtaposition to sort of see the the unfettered innocence that often comes with childhood and sort of the anarchism and anarchic sensibilities that sort of are rampant throughout AI. And also what in intrigues me about Artifice Girl, so yes, it is described as a sci-fi thriller, but it's very dialogue heavy, which I think is unusual for the genre um you know a lot of thrillers and, and techno thrillers i mean this isn't quite a techno thriller you know but a lot of them you know are kind of slick action sequences have a lot to do with machines and this is much more smaller much more focused and i think that um brings about uh a greater story so here is my conversation with filmmaker franklin Rich. Franklin Rich, how are you? How's it going today? Good, not too bad. How about yourself, Dan? Doing well, doing well. It's finally sunny over here on the West Coast. <laughs> great, great, glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had a chance to watch um, the Art of Artifice Girl. Um, what what made you want to tell the story or 
you know, set a story around AI and, and this idea of sentient technology? Sure. Yeah. I think uh, for, for me, the, the whole, uh, you know, subject, I was actually kind of a, more of a, of a conduit to explore theme is uh, that, that I wanted to sort of touch on uh, with, with the artifice girl. Uh, and yeah, I, I had um, kind of seen or, or read some articles uh, prior to writing the script about how AI and technology was being used to uh, hunt down criminals and and hunt down predators online. And I thought, what a what a fantastic uh, thing to use technology for, for you know, for for good. Um, that that was a really cool idea. And I wondered what kinds of conversations those developers were having behind closed doors. Um, and so uh, you know that that idea kind of stayed for a little bit, but it wasn't. Uh, I didn't feel really inspired to write anything until kind of revisiting the idea and discovering a potential thematic parallel between the budding adolescence of AI and childhood trauma. And I think once that once that connection was kind of made, then it just became obvious that this was a story that that I really wanted to tell. So AI was kind of more of a a, a channel or an avenue to explore that that idea. Using um, I, uh, having your AI take the form of, of a young girl is interesting because it sort of contrasts the innocence of childhood with kind of this anarchic quality that AI often has, where it's just, you know, it, it can become a free for all. How did you balance that? And, and what kind of conversations did you have with, with Tatum uh, when, when it came to per portraying that? Sure. Yeah. I think the, the, you know, depicting AI as this young girl for one, it, yeah, it's very uncanny. It's, it's not something that you, uh, you see all the time until, uh, you know, when, when we saw the trailer for Megan after we had wrapped production, uh, <laughs> oh no, another movie with a, an AI girl. But, um, but obviously it's a, it's a completely different kind of film saying something totally different. And I love that film, but, um, but, uh, but no, I, I feel like for, for me, I, I kind of wanted to explore AI uh, kind of in, in contrast to, I think, how it's been depicted in other films like Terminator in 2001, where it's always been kind of like this inevitable evil. Um, but I wanted to explore it rather than like a Frankenstein's monster. I wanted to see it depicted as, as you know, a child and in the sense that, you know, children are reflections of the, the best and worst qualities uh, that the parents have in, in the same way that I think AI will reflect the best and worst qualities of the developers that, that, uh, that design it and, and operate it. So I think, um, for that reason, the, the, the use of the image, the imagery of a child, uh, as an AI actually kind of worked sort of poetically in, in that way. Um, and, and yeah, as far as, uh, Tatum's performance, I mean, we, we did have lots of conversations about sort of uh, philosophically and kind of in, in broad strokes what what it meant to be a, an entity that started off uh, with with limited uh, with a limited amount of sentience and then how you know growing over time and, and your sole purpose is just to replicate and um, uh, to, to, to replicate and and uh, 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 reflect human behavior in order to protect children. And, you know, if, if you get so good at that job, what happens when you can't tell the difference? Uh, and, and what is that like? And she 
she, as a, as a professional, she, she took that, uh, those conversations and, and really, I think, uh, extracted a, an incredible performance out of, out of those ideas. Um, you know, one of the, the topics that's, that's talked about in the film is this idea of rights for AI, you know, rights for, for machine. Do you think there's going to come a time in like, I don't know, 20, 30 years where that conversation is going to happen in, in more earnest and what type of rights machines will have, especially when it comes to humans' use of them? You know, I think it's 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 not impossible. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the film kind of presents a very specific type of circumstance where the audience feels like that that conversation is, is plausible, I think, in, in the context of the, of the story. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I wrote the script three years ago, so a lot has happened since then <laughs> in regards to AI. A lot has happened in the past two months that was unforeseen. So, uh, you know, I don't know if our depiction of AI will necessarily be accurate to to how AI is going to advance in the next few years or heck, in the next few months um, at this rate. Uh, I, I do think, though, that it is still important to have the conversations that that I think the, the film talks about just in that Again, if if AI is going to be a reflection of the people that develop it, and it's developed, uh, you know, for nefarious, opportunistic, capitalistic purposes, uh, that's what it's going to do. It's going to make money. It's going to infringe on privacy. If it if it's built for altruistic reasons, uh, you know, it's it we're you know it's it's likely going to be a better scenario. Although we still might inadvertently put our, our flaws uh, into it and, and it will reciprocate. So I think uh, regardless of, of what's happening right now with AI and regardless of, of what's to come and whether or not an AI will, will ask for rights or not, or whether or not that will even care at that point, I think it's still important that we approach AI with, uh, with compassion, with uh, thoughtfulness with with integrity, um, not necessarily for the sake of of AI, uh, but more for uh, our sake for for in, instilling habits, instilling good habits of of compassion and thoughtfulness, so that if that time comes and that line does get crossed and an AI does deserve rights, we are ready to accept that and ready to 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 say yes to that. Um, rather than <laughs> be uh, oppressors, which I think is, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately more likely for for the human race. Uh, now, you also are in the film um, as Gareth, who is the the creator of of the AI program. Was that always the plan? Where you had had you written this for yourself to star in? No, I I uh, I, I didn't initially. Uh, when when we kind of looked at how we were going to make the film and we knew that this was going to be done during the pandemic and we wanted this to be a, a covid safe set so uh that that meant as few people as possible in the cast as few people as possible on the crew um social distancing everybody was masked uh and so for for me and for for the team we just you know looked at everything as we were shooting this proof of concept which was also again we we had to do this with as minimal resources as possible uh, before we got funding for the for the film, and it, that it just meant that there was going to be one less person on set 
uh, which made things a lot easier to to plan. Um, and I felt comfortable, though. I, I don't know if I would ever do that again. I don't know if I'd ever uh, play the lead role in my own film. I'd love to act in other people's stuff, but uh, I don't know if I'd ever act in my own thing again. Um, but I felt comfortable in this project uh, for three reasons. One, I had a lot of trust in my director of photography. Uh, two, he and I had done extensive pre-production planning and ensuring that we knew exactly how we were going to shoot the film, exactly how, you know, what our setups and coverage were going to be like. And three, I had a lot of trust and faith in my fellow cast members who I knew would help me if I needed help in uh, aspects of my performance and uh, that that collaborating with them through the rehearsal process, I felt comfortable uh, sort of taking on this extra role. Um, no, wasn't the initial plan, but, uh, and, and it, again, if, if we were to remake this film or I would love to see it off Broadway, maybe on, on a stage, I would love to see how, what other people would do with the character of Gareth. Um, there was one interesting line that, that Gareth says at, at the beginning, um, you know, when, when they're sort of talking about the Genesis and he goes, no. And before you ask, I, I'm, I'm asexual. I don't even, you know, I don't even something along those lines. Uh, I'm curious the on the decision to include that because obviously a representation is great, but it but it strikes me that the 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 asexuality of Gareth kind of is juxtaposed against maybe the 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 anti-sexuality of an AI. Um, uh, I don't know if you can hear me, but Okay, I'm so sorry. You you froze on on my end. I I uh, uh, I think my yeah, can you can you repeat that one more time because I was I, I was building up to a really interesting question. Can you? Uh, can you yeah. So it was it was about how you know Gareth says in in the beginning that he you know he tells the agents oh before you ask no uh, I'm asexual you, you know he he and he says how he's not interested and it it I'm very interested in that inclusion for two reasons one obviously representation of of any form however brief is is great but also that. I think Garrus asexuality can can be juxtaposed against maybe the the quote unquote anti-sexuality of of Cherry and, and and of AI. Sure. I think you know the inclusion of that for for me, I when when writing this, I, I feel like I just wanted to kind of take any any possibility of of you know there there being like a red herring, like, oh, maybe he is like a, a predator, maybe his his intentions aren't appears. I think that's still kind of like a looming possibility in the in the minds of the audience uh throughout the course of the story. Uh but but personally I wanted to kind of de-emphasize the uh kind of inherent sexual nature of uh the whole uh, premise, you know, and it—that's it, why we never show any predators on, on screen. That's why we never really see that side of this uh, of this uh, program. I, I just sort sort of more wanted to focus on kind of the ethical discussions surrounding the the use of this program, and I think just the very nature of a program designed to hunt down predators was just something that everybody, everybody in the audience, everybody in, in the room, uh, in uh, all of the characters can just instantly kind of get behind and say, yes, this is a good thing that, you know, this is a good thing to do, to protect children, to to stop that. I think the, you know, uh, and, and thank you, I think you're the first person that's that's mentioned uh, that that line. And I do think it's, it's, it's kind of uh, mentioned very quickly and then moved on. Uh, but I think b- because I just, really feel like uh with Gareth's history and 
his personality, his character, it just to me makes sense that, yeah, he doesn't have um, any any intention of having really any kind of meaningful uh, romantic or sexual relationship with anybody. Um, his his identity is very singular in, in his intention, which I think is a great parallel to Cherry, who says the same thing about herself. And I think there's a great moment where Amos says, you know, you're the one that doesn't seem human, that there are moments when Gareth seems, and, and not to say that asexuality is, uh, is an inhuman trait, uh, but just that Gareth is reluctant to have meaningful relationships with the people around him. I think that's, that's what's more important than his sexual orientation or lack thereof. You know, speaking of, of Cherry, for her especially, but for all the characters, the dialogue is quick, but very specific. And I'm curious for you as someone who wrote it, but was also in it, uh, how much of that was was sort of on the page in terms of, you know, this is how they speak and and how much of that came organically through conversations with the actors and actually getting it on camera? Yeah, great question. I, I, I didn't include a whole lot of direction in, in the script um, uh, because because, again, I knew that the people that I was going to be working with, the the, the, the actors that I had semi precast most of them. Um, uh, I, I kind of knew like that there was going to be a certain level of trust I had in the way that they would interpret the characters. Um, and we also had extensive rehearsal uh, re- rehearsal um, uh, sessions over Zoom because again, it was it was COVID times, but uh, Zoom gave us the ability to to get together two or three times a week as a cast and just one, get to socialize, which was something that we were starved for at the time. Uh, and it was great getting to see you know your fellow friends. But then also just run through the run through the script and then talk about it and do you know stage work. So because we had all those rehearsals over Zoom, I feel like we very kind of intuitively, uh, you know, narrowed in on on the pace and on the 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 way at which the rate at which the characters speak and kind of felt that that rhythm uh, over time. And I, I felt like I didn't really have to do very much direction as far as. Like, all right, this needs to be faster. This needs to be slowed down. There were maybe one or two moments to to finesse, um, especially, you know, like on set when we got really down to to sort of the pacing as far as being in the space and the blocking and all that. But most of it was, I think, just instinctual from the actors after rehearsing it and becoming very familiar with the material. Well, the film is The Artifice Girl, and it comes out next week i believe it's april 27th so that should be this coming uh thursday uh, i'm not sure when this will release but uh uh yeah if, if it's april 27th yes perfect uh i really enjoyed the film i think i think it plays with a lot of good ideas and kind of makes us think about our future and mortality and, and man versus machine uh and all that franklin rich thanks so much for your time today Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, cheers. Take care, man. And that was my interview with writer-director Franklin Rich. His new film, The Artifice Girl, was released on April the 27th. 
From America, we move across the pond to the UK, and from techno-thriller, we move into the genre of romantic comedy. And it's not one that I cover a lot, not for any particular reason, um, but I don't necessarily get a ton of rom-com offers. But this one is different. This one is what's love got to do with it, and it's a cross-cultural romantic comedy, um, British and Pakistan, that stars Lily James, Shabana Abzi, Asim Chaudhry, and Emma Thompson. And it's written by Jemima Khan. And if that name sounds familiar to some people, it's probably because you might know her work as a journalist. Uh, she was a journalist and associate editor of The New Statement, The New Statesman, and she was the European editor-at-large for Vanity Fair. Uh, she has also contributed to The Independent, The Sunday Times, The Evening Standard, and The Observer, as well as The Sunday Telegraph and British Vogue. She's also parlayed that success into producing a number of documentaries, including the Emmy-nominated six-part documentary series, The Clinton Affair, The Case Against Adnet, Adnan Syed, which was inspired by the serial documentary. She was a producer on the third season of Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story, which followed the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. Uh, she's also worked on We Still Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks. And as I mentioned, she has written and produced a feature film, What's Love Got to Do With It? And it's set between London and Lahore. A filmmaker documents her childhood friend and neighbor's arranged marriage to a bride from Pakistan. It's a a very interesting look on this concept of what's now called assisted marriage uh, rather than arranged marriage and how it may not necessarily be as outdated as many of us were, were previously led to believe or, or thought. It had its premiere at the Toronto uh, International Film Festival on September 10th, 2022, uh, and was released in the United Kingdom um, back in February, and it's recently had its release in North America. This is my conversation with... Jemima Khan. Hey, Jemima, how are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, so, let's talk about the film. Yeah, let's. What's love got to do with it? Um... I'm I'm curious, you know, watching this film and and 
reading up a little bit about you. As as a writer, how much of you did you put yourself in the script? How much of you is in in in, in Zoe? Did did this come from a place of relatability at all for you? Yeah, I mean, I think probably with all first scripts, they're pretty, you know, they're always going to be autobiographical in a sense. That's not to say that it's my story, but it's certainly informed by my experience of being pretty much, I would say, growing up in Pakistan from until the age of 30, between 20 and 30, where I got married into a very... uh, a pretty conservative Pakistani family and ours was the only non-arranged marriage in the entire family history of my ex-husband and I lived with his four sisters who had all had arranged marriages his father who'd had arranged marriage and the kids who then later on had arranged or assisted marriages as they've now become known and uh, my own view of how arranged marriage works Um, You know, I went there with all the sort of preconceived uh, ideas about it. If you've never seen arranged marriage, it does seem like the most outdated, almost medieval concept. And by the time I came back, I started having chats with my friends in the UK and they'd be talking about being on apps and trying to find a guy and, you know, to settle with or whatever. And I would go, you, you know, if your parents were caveated with if they were sane and functional but it you know who are your parents or who are the people that love you most and know you best who would they choose for you if you were to take out the sort of immediate sexual chemistry thing and put that to the side and don't be blinkered by that who would they choose what might that look like and would it work so that was really where the idea for the script came from but as I'd but I also had other uh, motivations around writing something about Pakistan. So I can talk to you about that if you want me to. But, yeah, um, well, I'm just yeah. curious. One thing I'm curious about, you know, we're, we're in this day and age where we're reframing language a little bit in terms of the words that we use and, and the terminology. And we've gone from arranged marriage now to uh, assisted marriage. Um, and as someone who who sort of was very ingratiated in that culture when where did that shift come from and when when do you think that started to happen well to be honest I always knew it as assisted marriage I always it was always based on you know consent and an introduction so I think that that's why it was renamed as yeah I never heard it I always heard it called it's not arranged it's assisted i.e the family get together and everyone talks about it and says well that person's nice and that's person I let's introduce them and see if they get on and if they like each other then let's see and it's completely up to them now obviously if you you know I like a lot of people had almost conflated arranged marriage with forced marriage falsely and there are forced marriages and you know they're terrible and they have no place in the modern world but that's not what the subject of this film is it's about you know the pros and cons of too many options versus too few options and you know passion v pragmatism and looking at all these ideas in you know what's the best way to find lasting love i guess um you know, obviously, there's there's a very big British Pakistani community, but you know, o- over here in the West, there's not necessarily that big of a diaspora. And I'm curious what you think maybe some misconceptions people might have about the Pakistani community, the British 
Pakistani community, the, the, the British Muslim community, when did you learn anything about those misconceptions when, when making this? I think it's a really good question. And I I think I guess I'd sort of underestimated to what extent the diaspora community is different in America and the UK, because in Britain, we have like, like a really big, vibrant British Pakistani community. There's like several million um, and, and a big uh, British Muslim community, which I know you also have, you have a big American Muslim community. And but not as many, I think when you say British Asian here, it means something different than in the UK. Um, and it encompasses a different part of the globe, which is um, a bit confusing for people. Um, and I would say that Pakistan and Pakistanis are often on screen in the West, seen as very frightening. It's a frightening place. It's, you know, it, where scary things happen. And that's partly because of the, the news and scary things do happen. And I have been... You know, I've experienced scary things myself when I was there. I mean, my ex-husband, uh, there was an assassination attempt on his on him just a few months ago. I I had death threats all the time when I was there. There was a suicide bomb when I was there. We were, uh, at the hospital, his office where he worked. And, you know, I, we had all sorts of scary. But there is this other side to Pakistan that is not what we see on the news, that is not what we see in, in the big shows like Homeland or Zero Dark Thirty. Those, there is a vibrant, colourful, beautiful, hospitable and joyous place and an incredibly, um, and 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 I wanted to really, that's why I wanted to do this as a rom-com because actually there've been amazing documentaries about Pakistan. Um, Sharmino Bechinoy, who's a really good friend of mine, may, has made some brilliant uh, films about Pakistan, but more the darker side. And so I particularly wanted to do this as a rom-com to show something slightly different. And I'm curious, you know, th this this is your, your first sort of feature film script. Um, and but you're also a producer on it, which is not always the case for for a first time writer. Um, given that, how much freedom were you given, and did that give you an opportunity to maybe be on set or 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 be more involved than you would be if you were just the writer? Yeah, I mean, I produce in my day job, so I have a production company. I produce scripted stuff for TV and film and um, documentaries. So uh, I was really lucky that I ended up, I mean, it was a very, very long process getting this made. It took 10 years plus and uh, was a real labor of love. And, and so I was lucky that I was a producer on it. Um, and I did therefore get a say in casting and things like that. But it didn't mean that I had, I mean, I was on set every day, but uh, Shaker was very much in control uh, and I didn't really have much input on set, but I did in the, you know, in my product producer duties around it. Uh, but as a writer, though, how, how cool was it to have somebody like Dame Emma Thompson on set reading your words? I mean, it's it's in. I feel really in, like insanely grateful that I I got to have walks on Hampstead Heath with Emma Thompson discussing character and plot and script. And she's written, you know, she's won an Oscar for one of her scripts. So she was invaluable, even just 
aside from her being Emma Thompson, her, her screenwriting tips were invaluable. And yeah, I feel pretty lucky to have got that opportunity. There, there was a great line um, early on in the film where they, you know, they talk about, uh, I think when they're interviewing the parents are like, oh yeah, we may not love each other at first, but we're, we're getting to love, um, which, which I think is a very interesting concept. And I'm curious, you, you know, in, in this process of making this, what did this teach you about relationships and dating at all? Did it teach you anything about love that maybe you looked at differently before? Yeah, definitely. Because I think that um, I, I think the line you're referring to is when when Shazad Latif's character says, "Look, it's different." We did because the Zoe Lily James character says, "What about love?" And he says, "Well, it's different. We don't necessarily start with love, but we end with it." And there is um, there is something in the idea of as Shabana Azmi's character says, walking into love rather than falling into it. It's a more measured decision rather a, rather than a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. And um, I think that there is a rom-com love, which we have been fed <laughs> as we we're growing up, me too, and I love rom-coms, but I think that it can sometimes be detrimental to our expectations because the idea that this person we're going to just spot is going to, you know, we're going to have love at first sight and that person is going to be everything for us and they're going to fulfill every expectation it's 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 a it's a hard to fulfill expectation and there is a more pragmatic approach in the east i think i i was struck but th the fact that there is sort of this weird similarity and, and juxtaposition between assisted marriage and people that you might meet online like tinder or or hinge or, or whatever and, and we see and that's alluded to a little bit in the film what what kind of relatability did you see between the sort of that that culture and how everyone here is just online looking for love yeah i think it's a really good point i think in some ways it's doing the same thing but one is a is a sophisticated algorithm and the other is is the people who know you best and love you most some people will have more faith in the algorithm and some people will have more faith in family and friends and, and their community to, to help them select somebody. I think there is an issue on apps with the amount of options that you get. I think that it can tend to commodify and uh, make people feel disposable. Um, and I think, but I think at the other end of the spectrum, having too little choice is also problematic. So I, I, I think that there are pros and cons to both. You know, and, and there's a lot of studies now about how the younger generations, you know, young millennials, Gen Z are, are looking at love in different ways and in, in, in some sense, eschewing love. Have, have you thought about both in your work as a journalist in, the, in in making this film, what love and relationships might look like going forward? Um, well, look, I think that that's where the character starts off in the film. I think that the Zoe Lily James character starts off thinking she might be on the apps, but she's basically saying, you know, I'm kind of okay. I'm, I'm wedded to my career. That's more important to me. And um, and I think there was a version, I'm not going to, I was about to say something about the ending, 
spoilers. Uh, um, and I think that a lot of people are kind of choosing to be single and, you know, are happily single. And I think the reason why I included the Emma Thompson character as a single older woman um, was to show that there isn't, you know, I don't really see coupledom as like the end goal to happiness. I, I don't, you know, and Emma Thompson is clearly the point that she's making is not that her daughter in the end has to be with somebody, but she has to connect because connection is really important. And it doesn't matter if it's that's to your friends or a community or whatever, but some form of connection is what we need as human beings. We're communal beings. So um, I think that's why there is no love interest for the single divorced mother in the film because she's very happy not having that. But the difference is I think her daughter isn't happy. And in the end, uh, that that becomes problematic for that character. Uh, in your, you know, in your in your experience making this, was there a favorite scene or a favorite moment of yours that occurred during filming? Yeah, my favorite scene, for very personal reasons, is the Cavalli scene. So when the Sufi music, when the Sufi singer is singing and they stumble across him. And the reason I love that scene is because that exact singer, so the person who, he's called Raha Fateh Ali Khan, and he played at my wedding and he plays himself in the film. And he's actually, to, to like South Asian music buffs, he is, I mean, he's a, he's he can fill out, sell out Wembley. So he's, um, he's incredibly famous in South Asia. Uh, and has this massive, massive uh, fan base. In fact, in my 20s, I used to travel around America with him, uh, raising money for a cancer charity, to raise money for a cancer charity in Pakistan. With Rahat, we would, uh, and it would all be targeted and focused on the dias Pakistani diasporas in America. Anyway, so that's a long-winded answer for saying that scene. What, someone's written something. What's that? Oh, yeah. Um, what, you know, and as we wrap up here, you know, given, given all the, the culture clashes that are having happening right now, whether they're in, in Britain or, or here in, in Canada and North America, is there something you want an audience to take away from this film? Uh, well, so far, what's really funny in Britain, we had an amazing reaction from the British Pakistani audiences in England. I don't know how, how, how it will go down here, but the most amazing part of this whole process has been the kind of British Asian response to the film. We, you know, our audience was as, according to exit polls, was 60% South Asian across the UK, which is an astonishing number of, you know, figure. And, um, but I think for those who don't know Pakistan well, um, it's kind of been amazing because so many people have messaged me and said, we really want to go. It's like, being, <laughs> I should work for their tourist board. Um, and I think the main thing with a rom-com is you want people to be entertained and love the film. But if they learn something in the process about a country they didn't know and a people they don't necessarily are not that familiar with, then that's a real bonus. Well, the film is what's, love got to do with it and it comes out here in theaters on may the 5th jamama khan thank you so much for your time today thank you all right have a good day cheers and you bye and once again that was my interview with filmmaker jamama khan she is the 
writer of the new romantic com comedy What's Love Got to Do With It? And it is being released in North America on May the 5th. That does it for me today. My thanks to Jemima Khan and my thanks to Franklin Rich. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next time. Bye for now.